We will continue with John, Encounters with Jesus, the woman at the well of Samaria, God willing, next Sunday morning. We as a church are going to appoint additional elders, and our constitution states that the pastor, to start the process, must preach on eldership, in particular from 1 Timothy chapter 3. And we started last Sunday evening looking at 1 Timothy 3 verse 1. This is a faithful saying, if a man desires the position of an elder, that's the best translation, not bishop, he desires a good work. And we looked at the term elder in the New Testament. An elder is used synonymously with overseer, with pastor. So there are two offices in the church. There is the diaconates, the deacons who have the physical oversight, and then there are the elders who have the spiritual oversight. Now, when we and other churches came out of the denomination, we were in the Presbyterian church, and in the early 70s, was it the early 70s? We came out because of liberal theology that was denying the gospel. We were fighting so much for the gospel that, in the words of Graham Harrison, uh, who lectured us in theology in Bible college, we forgot our doctrine of the church. We weren't very good at defining what the church is. And so we've got a lot of confusion in Welsh independent evangelicalism. But when we come to the New Testament, there is an order regarding how the church is to be governed, how we do church. Now, no one is going to agree exactly with another on these things. There, there are good Christians who have different views, even on the role of pastor and elders. But we still have a Presbyterian governance in our church. And so what I'm teaching from these verses, and it is my own conviction as well, is that which is in our confession of faith. So, what do we mean by an elder? What do we mean by a pastor? Pastor and elders are all part of a team. And we have the spiritual oversights. I don't know if it's biblical for us to have elders and deacons in a meeting where the elders are discussing the physical oversight. I don't know how you can change that, but constitution group, maybe you can look into that. There is this division of labor. Now then, the spiritual oversight, what does that mean? It means ruling the church. You must have rule. We're all equal before God, but there must be some kind of authority or it's chaos, isn't it? It means looking after the people of God. Often uh, the people of God are described as a flock of sheep. So 
the pastor and the elders are under shepherds, caring for the flock. The shepherd, of course, is Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. And it means feeding the flock, which is teaching. Teaching. So those are the functions of the pastoral oversight team. We're a team. Team players. In a team, like a football team, no player is more important than another player. But there has to be a captain. So Jesus Christ is the manager. But there's got to be a captain in a team. And in the pastoral oversight team, what we refer to as the pastor is the one who is the captain. Now, in our system, the elders are pastors, right? <laughs> the elder or elders who are set apart to minister the word are better called ministers. That's what they call them in the Free Church of Scotland because they minister the word. Now, that doesn't mean to say that myself and Andy and Nathan, who is training, that we are not part of the pastoral oversights. Uh, we must avoid two extremes here. Uh, you get situations, uh, and there are churches uh, in Wales that operate like this. The pastors don't do any visiting. They are there to teach, and then it's the elders who do the visiting. Now, I don't think that's biblical. Uh, we are all part of the congregation. So me and Andy and Nathan, as well as the elders, we are seeking to pastor, to care for you, to be visiting, to be amongst the people. So that's important. Toza, for example, and Lloyd-Jones, they never visited. There's an account of a deacon in Toza's church who was unwell, and Toza just happened to be in the area. And he just wanted to call in just to see how he was. It wasn't a pastoral visit. And the poor man thought that he was at death's door. <laughs> because Toza had visited him. So that's one extreme. The other extreme, and we've got a bit of this in Wales, unfortunately. You've got the pastor put on such a pedestal, he's the minister. The super spiritual person, he's the minister. So the, the, there were cases in Wales where if you had the minister for lunch, don't do this here, please, the poor man would be sitting in a room on his own, the front room, and he wouldn't be eating with the other members of the family. No, that's not right, is it? And in this uh, situation, people has to have the minister visit. It can't be an elder. It's got to be the minister. Well, that's not biblical either. The, the, the pattern of spiritual oversight in the New Testament is a team ministry. That means that the burden, which is too much for one person, is shared by a team. It also means that abuse is uh, limited because one man uh, can abuse power. And the, I'm not putting it as clearly as I want to, but the function then of the elders in the team is to keep the pastor pastors to preach the word. It doesn't mean that the pastor pastors aren't involved in the visiting, but in a church of this size, 
we could be visiting 24-7, couldn't we? But those of us who are called to minister the word, we must give ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word and be part of the pastoral team. And the elders are there then to hold us up, to keep us. I'm trying to make it as clear as I can because we are all uh, muddled by our traditions. We all have them and it's trying to be biblical. Uh, That's uh, the reason why we are looking at this. And before we look at the qualifications for elders, can I add something that I didn't mention last time? We are all in this together, aren't we? Uh, We are all to look out for one another. There are members here behind the scenes who are doing so much pastoral work. We, we are all priests unto God. Uh, it's not the minister who is the priest. We're not, no, no, we're all priests. And I like the way we do things. We divide the membership into districts, and an elder, along with a deacon, is responsible for a district. So, We haven't perfected this, but this is what we're trying to strive towards. In that district, you've got a Bible study group, a home group. So if you're not going to a home group, make yourself uh, uh, available to go to the home group Bible studies. You're part of that district. And in that setting then, uh, pastoring can happen. And we, myself and Andy can be informed if there are people that we need to visit then. Can you, can you understand? It's uh, having different districts, an elder over each district, and it just helps with the work of looking after the church. It's always a work in progress, and we want to do these things better. Believe it or not, we pastors, we're not omniscient. What does that mean? We don't know everything. Unless we're told that somebody's in hospital, we don't know. We're definitely not omnipotent, all-powerful. Thank God for that. And believe it or not, we're not omnipresent either. (laughs) We can't be present everywhere at the same time. That's why God has given a team. So those are some of the things to do with the function of elders. So let's move on this morning now, and we're not going to finish this this morning. Uh, we'll have to wait till November to start 1 Thessalonians again. We'll finish this next Sunday evening, God willing. The qualifications, who should be appointed elders? We're looking to add to the number. Who should we be looking at? God gives pastor and elders to the church. That's why we set them apart. That's what ordaining means, right? We lay hands to show God's call upon those people, and we set them apart to the work. So what we have to do, not just as pastor and elders, but as a church, is recognize God's calling upon people. So we're not thinking of who do I want as an elder, I want so-and-so because I'm friends with him. No. We recognize God's hand on somebody. 
And in 1 Timothy 5, this is why we read the fifth chapter, we'll be referring to chapter 5 and chapter 3. So if you've got a Bible, keep those two chapters in front of you. We're told, do not be hasty in laying on of hands on anyone. That's very sobering, isn't it? Don't rush to make someone a pastor or an elder. If we rush, we'll have the wrong men and we'll have a mess on our hands. I think Timothy was having difficulties with some of his elders. That's why Paul told him, take a little wine for your stomach's sake. So what are we to look for? One thing, if you forget everything else about this morning, I want you to remember this one word. Character, not gifts. Spiritual character. That's what Paul is dealing with in the list that we read in 1 Timothy 3, verses 2 to 7. What's a person's character like? So we mustn't be like the world. What does the world do when it thinks of leadership? Ah, it thinks of men who are natural leaders. Now, there's nothing wrong if they have godly characters to have such men in eldership, but often that's not the case. Let me tell you, in the New Testament church, the majority, from what we know, of elders were slaves. And they were often in authority over their own masters. Isn't that topsy-turvy to how the world thinks? It's not people who have great gifts. In the list in 1 Timothy 3, there's only one gift that is mentioned. Do you know what it is? Apt to teach. There's no other gift mentioned. It's not strong personalities. It's not people who are powerful in the church, people who are popular in the church, people who belong to established families in the church. It's character. Oh, for godly character. That's what we should be praying for. Uh, I've said it before. I'll keep on saying it. The old big seat set out in our denomination, the equivalent of elders, they were the high-status men in society, the big wigs. That's not what the New Testament was thinking of when it came to elders. Now, how can we judge a person's character? Because we're all sinners, aren't we? Even as saved people, we're still sinners. And this is the frightening thing. It's not the outside we're looking at, it's the inside. Uh, let me refer you to uh, 1 Timothy 5 again. So, what do we mean by looking at the outside? Well, obviously, a person has to be a true believer. A person has to be sound in doctrine. A person outwardly has to have a lifestyle that is right. But this is the frightening thing. A person can tick all those boxes and still not have a godly character. It's the heart. So look at 1 Timothy 5, verses 24 and 25. This is all in the context of eldership. We're thinking of how can I judge a person's character. This is what Paul says to Timothy. Timothy, some men's sins are clearly evident. So there are some people, no way, Jose, should we consider them elders. It's obvious. But there are some men whose sins follow later. It's harder to see. 
Uh, on the positive then, likewise, the good works of some are clearly evidence. They're obvious. And those that are other way, otherwise cannot be hidden. Other people, they may not be much to look at, but it takes time for the good works to shine out of them. Let me read what Phil Riken says. Some sins take a while to surface. And this is very true in a church context because our tendency is towards respectable sins, isn't it? And it's very difficult to detect these. So some sins take a while to surface. But eventually, when the peace of the church is disturbed, the sin will come to light. And I like this. Such sins trail behind like the stain a slug leaves on the garden path. The more pushy someone becomes, says Riken, about leading, the more reason to be cautious. I would say if a person is pushy about becoming an elder, no way. Let, let me give you an illustration here. Uh, when I started in this church, um, a minister in a conference I attended, he'd heard I'd become pastor of the Heath, and he said to me, and he was serious, when am I going to get an invitation then to preach at the Heath? Let me say he never got an invitation. He never got an invitation. So it's the iceberg, isn't it? John Stott puts it well. The iceberg principle. Nine-tenths of a person are hidden from view. Attractive personalities often have hidden weaknesses, whereas unpromising people often have hidden strengths. And then he goes on. Timothy and we must learn to discern between the seen and the unseen, the surface and the depth, the appearance and the reality. So we mustn't think of people who are obvious on the outside. Maybe, maybe the Lord might want them as elders. But who knows, maybe it's people here who are behind the scenes, but who have a godly character. And over time, that will shine, I say it will. Now then, let's start looking. There are 14 qualifications in 1 Timothy 3. That's why we're not going to look at them all this morning. A 14-point sermon. I hope you got salad for lunch. <laughs> so what we'll try and do, we've got communion as well, is we'll try and look at seven this morning. Don't worry, it's not going to be seven points. We'll clump some of them together. So let's see how we get on. So these are traits of godly character, right? Which we must be looking at. The first one is, verse 2, blameless. Blameless. If you've got a different translation, you may have the word above reproach. That's the best translation. Above reproach. Well, you say, no one is perfect. Who can be an elder then? We've all got faults. But above reproach doesn't mean perfection. It means having a life that hasn't got scandal attached to it. On the positive, it means integrity. We hear a lot about that today in the world, don't we? Integrity. How much more is it 
needed in the church. So a person who is above reproach, they're not going to be perfect. They'll be the first to admit that. But they'll be straight. They will have a good report in the world. We'll come to that as we finish the list of qualifications. In some churches in America, when they consider elders, they write to the workplace to ask for a reference. I don't know what to make of that. But it's in this context that they do that. What's a person's track record like? Have they got scandal or are they above reproach? We must think, you see, of the reputation of the church, the reputation of the leadership. That is why in the middle again, on looking at elders, Paul talks about accusations against elders. We're thinking of an elder, a pastor, being above reproach. So what does Paul say? Verse 19 of 1 Timothy 5, do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses, those who are sinning, those who are found guilty. If they repent, uh, make sure that it's done in the presence of all, that the rest also may fear. What have we got here? It's not something done in secret. This is something before the church. It's transparency. How can you be above reproach if you haven't got transparency? Society is waking up to these things now. So should the church. So uh, let me give an example again from Reich. And Reichen's commentary is excellent. He's a good Presbyterian as well. <laughs> he talks about an elder, not a pastor, I think it was an elder, that was accused of bad behavior. And... There was an accusation. So what did the brothers in the leadership do? Well, they took seriously the charges that were being made. And so they looked into them. And it was discovered that this poor man was falsely accused. So what that did was keep the integrity of the leadership. And the man's reputation was restored. Now we must take these things seriously. Sometimes we say, ah, we must keep the peace. But my friends, we're not keeping biblical peace unless we obey what the word says. So that's the first thing. These are not easy things, but they are necessary. Blameless. And then look at what comes next. The husband of one wife. Well, well, you say. Can a single man be an elder? Can a single man be a pastor? Well, I wouldn't be in the pulpit <laughs> if it wasn't the case. Paul wouldn't have been a pastor if it wasn't the case. Paul wasn't married. And uh, those of us who are single, are you single? Don't be constantly uh, berating your states. Paul was very positive about his singleness. Paul, I haven't got time to look at the verses, but he said to the Corinthians, you know, if you're single, you've got more time to focus on the things of God. Those of you who are single, rejoice in your singleness. Don't waste your time uh, just uh, looking down and saying, why 
am I not married? Use your singleness to serve God. There are people in this church who have served God, and I'm not thinking now of just pastors, but missionaries in their single states in a way they wouldn't have been able to do if they were married. So it can't mean that an elder can't be single. Neither does it say married only once. It says the husband of one wife. So if a man has lost his wife through death, the marriage is annulled. I hold that if a man has been deserted by his wife, or even abused by his wife, he's free to remarry. The marriage is annulled. Now, there are different views when it comes to these things, and we need much wisdom. But what Paul is getting at here, he's, he's not uh, trying to say uh, a man has got to be married in order to be an elder. No, no. He's saying single men can be elders. Even men who are widowed can be elders and those. And there are different views here. And those who have been deserted. But what he's really getting at is sexual purity. This is frightening, isn't it? The number of pastors that have fallen in recent years in this area. And we're not thinking just of people outside our circles. There have been main speakers in the Aber Conference who have fallen in this area. Not just one. My friends, we should really, really be humbled. Let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. Now then, this can't mean sinless perfection. Because as Jesus says, we sin in this area with our thoughts as much as with our deeds. But if a person has a tendency to flirt, I would say they can't be an elder. We know what we mean by that, don't we? And those of us who are in leadership, we must be so wise. We, we, we can't see uh, a woman alone in private. It's not because we've got anything against that person. It's just being wise. And I'm speaking this now with great care. For younger pastors, in an age when sexual images are so available, many young pastors will struggle with internet pornography. Many young believers will struggle in that area. And those of you who are older, and I count myself amongst you, we still struggle in maybe different ways in this area, don't we? So we can't say if a person is struggling with temptation in this area or any other area that they can't be an elder. But what I would say is if a person is addicted to internet porn. I don't think they should be an elder. There's a difference, isn't there, between being addicted to something and struggling with something. Uh, you can't read Paul's letters and come to the conclusion that he didn't struggle with temptation. 
Read Romans 7. And actually, when you've got elders who are honest about their own struggles, that helps them to pastor the flock who are also struggling. So these are not easy things to look at, but we have to maintain integrity when it comes to sexual morality. And then let's take three things together and then I'll probably finish. So how many is that? We've looked at one, two... Three, four, five, not quite seven. In the New King James, temperate, sober-minded, good behavior. The first is better translated sober-minded. <laughs> if that will confuse you, sorry. Sober-minded. What are these three things to do with? They're to do with being moderate, being self-controlled. So sober-minded, you start with having... A mind that is balanced. A person that is... Now, none of us are perfectly balanced. Think of Martin Luther. Was he a balanced man? He was a volcano of a man, wasn't he? But there has to be enough balance in a spiritual leader. So a person who is sober-minded is going to be vigilant. That's why I showed the pictures of Creeb Goch uh, to the children I hope it doesn't put you off going up Snowden. But think of a person walking along Creeb Gorch. That person is going to be vigilant. They're not going to be reckless in their walk, are they? And it's like that with an elder. They're, they are going to be balanced in their minds. When we look at the uh, challenges that face the church, uh, they are not going to be swayed one way or the other. They're going to be moderates. Uh, sometimes you will have us pastors who make rash decisions. You know, we are so keen uh, to uh, get on with the work. Thank God for an eldership that has moderation and balance. It's good to be a team, isn't it? Several heads are better than one. That's why if you've just got one pastor and all the authority is in his hands, especially if he's a young man and got too much of the zeal of youth, the damage that is done. Oh, godly, experienced elders around that man is so, so important. And then sober-minded, this is to do with the behavior. It will show itself in self-controlling behavior. So I have a, a moderate, balanced uh, mind and that will show itself in behavior uh, that is such. Uh, keeping a cool head, isn't that vital going on Grieb Goch, climbing that last pinnacle? You've got to have a head for heights. You can't have vertigo there. And when we think of the walking along the knife edge that is uh, obeying the word of God and leading the flock of Jesus Christ, how we need to keep a cool head. Was it Rudyard Kipling who wrote that poem, if, if you can keep a cool head while those around you are losing theirs? We, we've had a difficult few years. Many churches have had difficult few years in lockdown. You need an eldership that can keep a cool head. Can you see how relevant these things are? And then that will show itself then in good behavior, which is translated respectable, but I don't 
think that quite gets it. Respectable, because we think of respectable as the big seat again, don't we? <laughs> There's nothing wrong in wearing a suit, right? I'm in a suit and tie, but the people in the big seat, the bank managers, the head teachers, the solicitors, they were all in grey suits and grey demeanour, respectable. Or as Puddle Glum said, respect a wiggle. That is not what Paul is thinking of here. Godliness isn't doing us. Paul talks in 1 Timothy 5 about good works following shining. Uh, one French philosopher put it like this, how shall I be able to rule over others if I have not full power and command of myself? Those of us on the eldership who are ministers, pastors, we have to spend much time on our own in our studies, praying, preparing. We, we, must, we must have control. Uh, even those who are not doing that, the elders who are visiting, a lot of visiting is done behind the scenes, behind the scenes. There's no one to keep tabs on you. You must have self-control. And it just talks about being... A balanced personality. I'll, I, as I come to a conclusion, I'll mention Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was having tea with Gwilym Roberts. Gwilym, Mr. Roberts, told me about this. And a person was there who was interested in going to the ministry. And Mrs. Roberts was serving tea. And then Lloyd-Jones said to Mr. Roberts afterwards, he's not suitable. Did you notice what he did when... Your wife offered him tea and biscuits. He didn't say thank you. He didn't say thank you. Well, if you're thinking, who, who is sufficient? I say, amen. If you're thinking, hmm, I'm elders material. I say, no, thank you. If your attitude is, who is sufficient? What was Paul's answer? Our sufficiency is of God. Do you, do, do you know who Jesus Christ chose to be leaders? A tax collector, Matthew. A fisherman. And Peter struggled with things, didn't he? He wasn't always balanced. I read this about a year ago. I'll read it again. To Jesus, son of Joseph, woodcrafter, carpenter shop, Nazareth, from Jordan Management Consultants, Jerusalem. Dear sir, thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you have picked up for management positions in your new organizations. All of them have now taken our battery of tests. We have not only run the results through our computer, but also arranged personal interviews for each of them with our psychologist and vocational aptitude consultant. Wow. It is the staff's opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in the background education and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise you are undertaking. They do not have the team concept. We would recommend that you continue your search for persons of experience in managerial ability and proven capability. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. 
Andrew has no qualities of leadership. The two brothers, James and John, sons of Zebedee, place personal interests above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that would tend to undermine morale. We feel it our duty to tell you that Matthew has been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, definitely has radical leanings. And they both registered a high score on the manic depressive scale. Not much hope is there. One of the candidates, however, shows great potential. He's a man of ability and resourcefulness, meets people well, has a keen business mind, and has contacts in high places. He's highly motivated, ambitious, and responsible. We recommend Judas Iscariot. Thank God the Lord didn't listen to man. God's ways are different to our ways. Think of the Apostle Paul. What did he say in 1 Timothy chapter 1? Uh, what, 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 what did he say? I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy and the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. And here's the first faithful saying. The second faithful saying is about eldership, but the first faithful saying is the greatest and worthy of all accept acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. Who is sufficient for eldership? Who is sufficient to become a Christian? Have you come in here this morning for the first time wondering what we're about? I don't normally preach on eldership, right? I normally preach the good news that Jesus Christ receives sinners. Not the good, not the righteous, but failures. Those who are under condemnation. Those who cannot save themselves. And the worst case scenario was Saul of Tarsus, who wrote this epistle. But not as Saul, because the grace of God, undeserving favor of God, had saved him and changed him into Paul. And you know what? It's that same good news which we have got 